beauty we behold. Let's adore him. Blessed be your name, O God. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. You are highly lifted up. There is no one like you.
Hallelujah. Praise God. It's, it's so good to be at God's chamber tonight. I want to thank God for Pastor Tayo Lemoshe and his wife and everyone in the leadership of God's chamber. Can you celebrate them for me? Hallelujah. And I want to thank God for the council of apostles that are here tonight. When they tell me that Apostle Ezekiel is here, uh, uh, Apostle Ademola is here. I mean, I don't even know why I'm preaching. You know, pastors don't preach where apostles are. Glory, hallelujah. It's such a delight. It's such a delight. And every other servant of God, I truly, truly honor the grace of God that you carry. Whether you came here um, because of your relationship with Pastor Taiwo or you came here just to hang out with us and hear the word of God. It is always a delight when ministers sit back and listen to other ministers. It's a high privilege. Uh, and it also is safety because you now know that you are not talking to novices. And because you are not talking to novices, you'll be careful. The Bible says if one prophet prophesies, another should sit down and judge. And I think that the, the, the accuracy of the church begins to work stronger when we have people who are able to sit down in the seats of judges and hear the things that God is saying and put judgment to them. Because I perceive that my, my teaching in my time here will take twofold. The first fold will be personal. The second fold will speak primarily to the church in my generation. Not necessarily in Nigeria, but the church in my generation. Possibly there are certain things that God will be saying that will resonate with us at certain levels. Amen? Amen. So thank you so much, Sas. Can you, congregation, can you help me celebrate every servant of God that is here? Amen. <laughs> oh, I am looking in the mirror. Oh, I'm becoming what I see. Oh, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Oh, it's the sound of the new man. Oh, I am looking in the
your seats in his presence. We will interject the entire message with that song. We'll just we'll keep raising that sound, that sound of the new man, until something inside of you resonates. Hallelujah. The sound is absolutely important. I didn't meet all of what Pastor was teaching tonight, but I felt like he gave an amazing foundation for what I want to speak tonight. Listen, the sound is absolutely important. Let me add a tiny little bit to what Pastor has said to you tonight. Listen, it is the sound is so important to God. When Jesus resurrected from the dead, he made sure that nobody identified him by sight. They all identified him by sound. It was absolutely important. We overlook certain things in scripture. And so it makes it a bit difficult for us to understand the technology of God. And why it was important for them to arrive at one accord. Hear me very carefully. So when Jesus rose from the dead, the first person he was manifest to was Mary. Um, right at the grave. And at the grave, she was looking at a man she had known for maybe three years plus and didn't identify him. She was looking at him in the eyes and asking, if you know where they have kept him, show me so that I might go and worship. What she didn't know was that that worship had come a little too late. Ah. Let me take a quick digression. That worship came a little too late. You know Why? There was only one woman that could identify by the sound in her spirit that this one is, going, is not going to last long enough to be perfumed in the grave. So she brought her box of alabaster a long time before. That's why Jesus said she did this to prepare my body for its burial. Because nobody was going to be able to meet his body enough to perfume it. She came ready for a worship, but she came a little too late. That's the reason why the sound is important. You must understand the timing, and you cannot measure the timing according to the measurement of men. You can miss God because you are waiting for the measurement of men. So, she came, and she was looking at him straight in the eye. And she was saying to him, please, sir, if you know where they have kept him. Then he says, Mary. Then she knew, nobody calls me like that. There's only one person who sounds like that. It is master. She said, Rabboni. Then suddenly her eyes were open. Listen, the Bible said, after his death, when he resurrected, two of his disciples were walking on their way to Emmaus. No, they were disciples. There was no way they could not identify master. They were walking on their way to Emmaus and were discussing what wickedness the Jews machinated against Messiah. And he joined them in the walk. And he said, what are you discussing? Then they said to him, are you the only stranger in Israel? Then he said to them, oh you fools and hard of heart to understand. Ought not the Christ to have suffered this thing? Now, let me ask you a natural question. Is it possible for him to have been talking like that and they did not turn to look at his face? Is it possible? And they spoke from the point where he met them till they got to the city they were going to. He refused to reveal himself until they constrained him to sleep over. 
And then when he stopped to sleep over, they gave him bread and he got up as is his custom and gave thanks and broke it. The other them shouted, Master! Master! The moment they identified him, he disappeared from their sight. Then they said, we should have known. Didn't our hearts born within us when he The sound is important to God. Of course, you know, he had revealed himself to his disciples a number of times. When John chapter 20, the Bible says, and upon this account, did he have to reveal himself again? Peter got up and he said, I'm going back to fish. And then he went to fish. And master, the one they have followed for three and a half years, was standing in front of the, and shouting, children, have you caught any fish? Do you think they didn't look at him? He told them, cast your nets to the right side. When they did, they caught like they had caught in Luke chapter 5. Peter knew, only master. And they ran. Listen, it was important to God that they identified him by the sound. Because when he shows up in the face, everyone can identify him. But when he shows up in the sound, it takes them that have been with him to know him. Because my sheep, they don't know my face. They know my voice. So what makes them my sheep is that they're able to identify my voice. And what saves them from strangers is that they, the voice of a stranger, they will not follow. That means that in fact, Paul left a warning. He said that angel, that, that Satan can take up an angelic visage and show up like an angel of light. That means if you are waiting for an encounter, then you are bound for deception. That even within the course of an encounter, what you should be looking, hearing is a sound. Even though something that looks like Jesus will walk into your room in the night and lead you astray if you don't know the voice. So one of the first things I want to establish with you tonight is that you must have fellowship with his voice long enough to be able to pick out his voice in the midst of 10,000 others. So the first thing to speak about when we speak about a sound from heaven is the depth of intimacy. Because listen to this very carefully. It is the depth of intimacy that makes that you are able to interpret what the voice is saying. I heard Pastor was speaking about it. That when ships bleat, it is you who is hearing bah, as far as they are concerned, communication has happened. In fact, as far as I'm concerned, the true measure of love in any marriage is the ability for a man and his wife to communicate without anybody hearing. And many times it's not the language, it's the science. So you're looking at me and I'm smiling like this. And my wife is looking at me and she knows exactly what he's saying. Because the true measure of fellowship is the ability to communicate even without speaking. So, hear this. I've studied scripture, especially the New Testament, long enough to know. Please hear this. Take it from me because it, it's kind of a digression from many of the things I came to say tonight. But I've studied the New Testament long enough to know that what God is actually looking for from you is not a person who knows him by sight or knows him by feeling or knows him by... He is he's looking for a person who can 
who can take up his burden and have arrived at the place where he can decipher and interpret when God communicates by impulse. Let me, I'll say it again. So what God really wants to do is he wants to take like a microchip of his burden and throw it inside of you and say nothing and have you interpret that thing accurately. Actually, the highest level of heaven speakings is not appearings. The highest levels of heaven speakings is that you have fellowship with the Father long enough to become one with him that when you enter into a circumstance, you don't need a communication to know what's in the heart of the Father because you and him have become one. Because if you run through the New Testament, I need to drop this one now. If you run through the New Testament, you will find out that what Jesus called you unto is he did not call you unto becoming a vessel that he can use. He called you unto becoming a body he can incarnate. That's the calling. So, that you are still being used of God is still at a low life. That God is still telling you, go and do this for me. It's still at a low level of life. At the ultimate level of the New Testament life, what God is looking for is a body. Uh, what he wants to do with the body is not instruct the body. He wants to incarnate the body. Uh, Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet, not I. Uh, what are we talking about here? I have been crucified with Christ, so I'm dead. I reckon, he said, reckon therefore yourselves dead. I've been crucified with Christ. Literally speaking, I'm dead. Yet I live. Yet not I. But Christ lives in me. Listen to what he said. He said, so the life that I now live in the flesh, he didn't say I live by faith in the Son of God. He said, I live by the faith of the Son of God. That means it is the Son of God having faith inside of me. <laughs> that means... I, I, I have gone beyond the place where I can say to Jesus, I believe you. I've arrived at the place where what he believes is what I believe. I don't have a choice anymore. If he's going in a particular direction, I don't even have long enough to think about what he's going to do. Whatever he wants to do, let him do with me. That means that the veils of the cotton that provoke my mind to initiating thought have been torn so that I can only think about what he makes available to me I, I lose the power to initiate thinking outside of what he's thinking it is on the strength of that that I have tried to teach believers to know that their will is not given to them for choice it's given to them for insistence when you arrive at true spiritual worship you stop using your will to choose Sir, the custom of the Old Testament servant is that the servant knows he doesn't have a life. So he can choose nothing. He lives for his master. So when Paul says things like, I, Paul, a born servant of Jesus, what he's trying to communicate to you is that I don't even have a life. I cannot begin to tell God I don't have sufficient faith for this assignment. Because the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Not by faith in. That means I am literally using his faith. 
I found out that the highest dimension of every spiritual working is when it arrives at off. For instance, we are peace with God. We are peace from God. And then we have the peace of God. When you arrive at the peace of God, even you are angry that you are still at peace at the things you are still at peace because your reasonable reasoning cannot reason why you are at peace in this situation. At that point, you know that you have gone beyond peace from God. Where you have arrived at now is the peace of God. At the point where you are operating the peace of God, you are seeing stuff from where God is seeing it. That's what David meant when he said, Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the ends of the earth will I cry unto thee. And when my heart is overwhelmed, please lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter unto me and a strong tower from the enemy and when my heart is overwhelmed please lead me to the rock that is higher than I when you see from where God sees what used to look big will become small ah, that was actually what the prophet Zechariah was speaking about in Zechariah chapter 4 in the vision he saw concerning Zerubbabel when he said who art thou O great mountain before Zerubbabel if you look at the original King James you will find out that it, in your English Bible he wrote thou shalt become a plane. But if you read it, you will find out that thou shalt become is italized. It's in ethics. That means those words were not contained in the original context. Thou shalt become a plane. Oh, oh thank you. No, this is not it. Ah, good, good, good. Aha, good. That's it. That's it. Who are you, O great mountain before Zerubbabel? Can you see the words you shall become? Can you see it there? Those words you shall become do not exist in the original context. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? A plane. Are you following me? Now, and he was speaking about, can, can you, oh, you see that scripture there? And he shall bring forth the headstone. The headstone was already spoken about in Zechariah chapter 3 when he was speaking to Joshua, the son of Josedek. And he told you that the headstone, each stone in that temple has seven eyes. And the Bible told you that it is the seven spirits of God. Sent forth to all the earth. That means that the moment Zerubbabel sus subscribed to the stone called Christ, he stopped seeing from where he sees. The moment you set a mountain in front of Zerubbabel, as far as he's concerned, this is a plane. And of course, you know it agrees with the principle of faith in Mark chapter 11, 
Ah, if you will say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in your heart, but you shall believe that what you say shall come to pass, you will have what you say. Now, notice that you don't have it when you say it, you have it when you believe that you will have what you say. So you can say it, and the mountain is still standing, and you walk away like the mountain does not exist. Knowing that as surely as you have spoken, it will come to pass. Oh, I thought somebody just walked, entered the school of faith right now. Do you understand it? The problem many believers have is that they are talking to mountains and waiting for the mountains to move. That you are waiting for the mountain to move means that you don't believe that it is done. If you follow that story carefully, you'll find out that that thing was said by the Lord Jesus after Peter said to him, Ah, see the tree you cost is dying. Jesus didn't wait after he cursed the tree for the tree to die. He cursed the tree and walked away. Ah. Then when he came back, Peter said, ah, great master, they're just doing great things everywhere. See that tree you cursed. So Jesus was looking at him like, what else did you expect? It was there he said to Peter, have the God kind of faith. Oh, I know I have sufficient scholars of the Bible here. That you know that that scripture didn't say, have faith in God. What he said is, have the God kind of faith. Ah, hey, he's provoking something. I hope you know that in the list of the heroes of faith, God was the first mention. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things that appeared did not. (laughs) Does anybody want to see the faith of God? Uh, let's, take, let's take a small journey and glorify him today. Many of you think that when God speaks, it just comes to pass because he said it. No, he speaks and walks away. So you see everything you saw in Genesis chapter 1. God was just talking. Nothing was happening. When the Bible says, and there was, nothing happened. Ah, I like the way I look at me. Nothing, nothing happened. The there was is what Abraham came to discover according to Romans chapter 4. That he suddenly discovered that God is the one who quickens the dead and he calls the things that be not. Wait. No, no, no. Let's prove it. Don't shout yet. Let's prove it. So, sir, when God says it is done, the thing does not necessarily begin to manifest. As solely because you know, sometimes God's it is done is also waiting for a prophetic order or prophetic timing. So when he calls it done and it does not yet manifest, it is done within the context of the large scale of the things he wants to do. It is you who can be bound by the small scale of what you see. So you are under pressure right now. God is not under pressure. His grand design is more important than your immediate pressure. Is anybody hearing me? That's the reason why you must let patience have a complete work. That's why scripture tells you very clearly that it takes faith and patience to obtain. Because there are certain things God calls done. That you are standing your natural life and they don't look done. I've got good news for you. You are not the first to see undone. Because Genesis chapter 2 verse 3. I've shared this in a number of places recently. Genesis chapter 2 verse 3. 
these are the generations of the heavens and the earth in the day when the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Is it there? Oh, thank you. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in that day he rested from all his works which God created and made. Next verse. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth in the day when they were created. Sorry, when they were created in the day that the Lord God made what? The earth and the heavens, comma. Did you see comma there? Next verse. Read it. One, two, three, go. Stop. So he made them and every herb of the field so it did not grow. It was not in the earth. And he said there was. Now the Bible told you why it was finished but it had not yet manifested. Look at it there now. Because the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was not a man to till the ground. That means God will not let those things manifest until they have a manager. So as much as they are done, there's an order of manifestation they are waiting for. So God is not somewhere saying, where is the green plant that I commanded to grow? It's the God kind of place. He's not sitting down somewhere thinking, where is that job that I sent you up here? not there. He says it. It is done. It is waiting for its right time and sometimes it is waiting for your the works of your faith to manifest. Because sometimes if you don't create an environment where what God has said will thrive, it will wait. Are you hearing me? So every plant of the field before it grew. Every herb before it was in the earth. Why? Because the Lord God had not caused it to rain. Why? Because there was not a man. That means in the order of creation, man was created last. In the order of manifestation, man was created first. Because what does the next verse say? He was the next verse. Let's see but they went up a mist and watered the face of the whole ground, or the whole net verse. And the Lord formed out of the and breathed into his nostrils. And man became. So man existed, but there was no place for man to live. But because man was both a combination of earth and breath, he could live in God's presence. So God kept man in his presence. And then next verse, and God planted a garden. Is what he needed. And there, he took the man that he had formed and dropped him there. Have the God kind of faith. I said all of this to say that ultimately where God wants to take you to is not the place where he instructs you, it's the place where he incarnates you so that you feel what he feels. You see what he sees. And every interpretation you... Ah, Pastor, I read that scripture in First Corinthians chapter 2. In First Corinthians chapter 2, when he said, I had not seen nor ear heard, what he is simply saying to you is that the moment a thing becomes manifest, a man of faith becomes disinterested in it. Because a, a man of faith is more excited at the process of creation than he is excited at the manifestation. 
So sometimes when what he has been waiting for becomes manifest, he has already lived it too long for him to be excited. So you are the one who is dance, dancing that he got a car. You are the one who is dancing that he got a house. You are the one who is dancing that something became manifest. Because he walked through the process of its creation with God. What else was he expecting? In the day of the manifestation, it is only normal. So the moment it becomes seen, it falls short of what God can do. For I had not seen nor yet heard, neither has he entered into the mind of man what God has spared for those who love him. But God had revealed them unto us. How? By his spirit. For the spirit started all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit in the man? Even so the things of God knows no man except the spirit of God. Now you have received not the spirit of the world, but you have received the spirit of God that you may know the things that are freely given to you by God. And he tells you that the spirit, spiritual man judges all things and yet himself is not judged rightly by any man. He said the carnal man cannot receive the things of God because they are spiritually discerned. Then he told you that there is a spiritual knob inside of you that when it comes alive, you'll be judging spiritual things with spiritual. Then he quoted something. He said, who had known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? The word instruct there means that he may enforce the rule of God by reduplicating God. It's the Greek word sumbibadzo. It means to enforce by a reduplication. Who had known the mind of God that he may instruct him. That's why that particular verse said, yea, we have the mind of Christ. Oh, I'm tempted to take a digression to Romans chapter 11. Because in Romans chapter 11, when he speaks about the high wisdom of God, and the operation of that wisdom and how that princes and powers cannot decipher it and how that God can choose to raise one only to be glorified in throwing him down. That's not normally believers. He normally speaks speak about the worldly system. It was Pharaoh he spoke about there. So God used 400 years to raise Pharaoh. And he raised him high. High. So listen, when the Bible says that a Pharaoh came that did not know Joseph, it's not possible. It's, it's not possible. It's, I, I, I don't know how you read your Bible. Yeah. You know, some people read the Bible and they are blind. They are sentimentally blind. It becomes a veil. It's not possible, sir, for a person to do what Joseph did in the history books of Egypt and a pharaoh shows up that do not know him. It's not, it's not possible. So, what you should be asking is, what then was God saying? God was saying, a pharaoh rose that chose not to acknowledge the hand of God that has lifted Egypt by Joseph. So he decided to multiply their burden. And the more he multiplied their burden, the greater they became. He became afraid of the people who by whose hand God raised them. And what he did not know was that God was setting up the righteousness of God to judge him. Hmm. Let me tell you something. God will do nothing because he's strong. God will never exert his power 
just to show you his God. The reason is because he exalts his word above all his names. Some of you have a wrong picture of God. You think that God can just wake up today and slap everything, everything will stop. He cannot. Sorry, he can, but he will not. Why, sir? Because he has bound himself by his own principle. So, Ephesians chapter 1 tells you that he does all things after the counsel of his own will. Now, the name is where the power is. The word is where the principle is. He exalts his word higher than all his names. Simply put, God will not exercise power because it is available to him. He will exercise power because it has become legal to do so. As it is written that he might be justified when he judges. So God will not destroy a nation until the nation's sin is full. He said it to Abraham now in Genesis 15. He said, see this land. This is the land I swore to give you and your... He said, but your seed will go into captivity. 400 years. Then afterwards, I'll bring it back here. He said, because the sin of the Amorites is not yet full. Sir, if it's me, I... Sometimes I used to wake up on my bed. Please, take this for a joke before some of you think I'm serious. Sometimes I used to wake up on my bed and think that God should come to me for training on how to be God. Hey. Hmm. Someone doesn't know what I'm talking about. Have you ever woken up and you thought, all these Boko Haram kidnappers? All this... Oh, God. God. It looks like you don't know how much power is in your seat. Give us one week. I have told God, it should just give me like three hours. Especially when you read all those books of delivered from the power of darkness. And then somebody told you that it was Satan for three hours. Hey! I don't want to be Satan. God, three hours. Nigeria will be straight. Hey! The only problem is that after the three hours, the number of dead bodies they will pack. Hey, are you following me? I'm sure it has worked around your imagination. It used to with me. It doesn't anymore. You know why? I started learning to honor and exalt the wisdom of God. Then I see how much restraint God exercises. Hey, sir. Romans chapter 9 said that God bears with much long suffering the objects of wrath. Hey, God. You know you cannot be God. Is let them give you small money. Do you understand? Just get like some 20 billion in your account. Nobody will hear what again. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? The small five million you got. Leave us alone. Let's not talk about it. Hey, oh Lord. See, I'm enjoying preaching so much, I forgot I had time. Is anybody hearing me? Yes, sir. You, you need to understand it. You must appreciate and exalt the wisdom of God. If you don't appreciate and exalt the wisdom of God, what will happen is that you will always feel like God is slow. Then you will never subscribe to his wisdom. And when you don't subscribe to his wisdom, he can never incarnate you. Because people don't know the marks of worship. The mark of worship is surrender. 
And the highest mark of worship is not surrender out of helplessness. It's surrender in strength. Anybody can seek help from God when he's helpless. You don't know how politicians are looking for prophets now. Every politician is looking for a prophet who will lie to him. And all the hungry teens <laughs> looking for another road. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because the politician is desperate. He has bought form, 100 million. It's not about to use you to play. If any prophet can come to his house now and say, trust in the Lord, you will get it. Ah! But you know what? After some time, even them know who is a thief. Even the politician, leave him, let him finish, finish. But if they say, amen, Kai, thank you, prophet. Then I do like this. Then give you 20,000. I don't know why I'm saying what I'm saying. Well, let me leave that matter. I'm just saying to you that there is nothing God invited you to live by that he does not live by. So God too lives in patience. God too sits down and he's patient. When I read it, and the Bible says in Romans chapter 9, that he bears with much long suffering. The objects of wrath. Yeah. I said, Apostle, I said, God. I said, God. In your office as God. That can stop anything. At any time. Then I realized. That God binds himself. Can you see? What if God wanting to show his wrath. And to make his power known. Endured with much long suffering. The vessels of wrath prepared for. He knows that ultimately we will destroy these people. But he's waiting patiently so that by the time he destroys them, he won't have broken a principle. There will be sufficient reason to say So if Pharaoh's continue to honor Israel, God will never have a reason to strike Egypt. So he had to raise one stubborn boy. So while the guy was feeling like, no, fear God, though. Fear, he was with both light and darkness. Darkness is part of the instruments with which God was. That's why you should not sit down and be afraid of what people are conspiring in the dark. It's God's weapon of war. The ultimate, the highest victory God won was salvation. When God finished planning salvation, he carried the full document and handed it over to Satan for execution. And Satan did not deviate from it to the left or to the right. All his wickedness was captured in the agenda of God. If you know it, you will love the wickedness of the wicked. Oh, you didn't hear me. Or didn't the Bible tell you, blessed are you when men revile you and say all manner of evil things against you falsely. That means that there's a dimension of the blessing you cannot unlock until people hate you. Darkness is a weapon of war. I don't worry myself or concern that. Colossians chapter 1 says all things were made by him. 
whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities and powers, they were made by him and for him. Not against him. Satan can never walk against God. Never. There's not a single day Satan set out and God said, let's prepare our enemies out. Because everything he can ever do is captured in the wisdom of God. It's part of the reasons why you must upgrade to God's frequency. You must hear from where he hears. Ah, tomorrow I'll analyze for you Pentecost. And I believe that there's a second global sound that the Holy Ghost will make. I will show it to you from scripture. And I believe that now more than ever before, the church is closer to that time. That second sound, the Bible says clearly, will come out from Zion. I will show you the prophecy of it tomorrow. Today, I want to deal with it at a personal level. So that you can upgrade to God's frequency. Listen, upgrading to hear from God's frequency must be a matter of life and death for you. My pastor, Pastor Delvan, was laughing at me a few weeks ago. I'll tell you why he was laughing at me. You know, he lives in Kaduna. And, well, for me personally, before the kidnappers began to attack Kaduna Road, Kaduna Road is about one of the most dangerous roads. Abuja Kaduna Road is about one of the most dangerous roads in Nigeria right now. If you climb that road, yeah. Before they began to attack, my wife is here. I told her weeks before they began to attack that road, I said to her, the Lord said to me, don't use this road anymore. So for me, it was a clear instruction. When they began the attacks, I knew. But then you know that an instruction can begin to turn into a stronghold of fear. Oh, you didn't didn't see that part coming. What is an instruction can begin to turn into a stronghold of fear. Now, and so soon after, um, immediately after the Lord said it, every time I was going to Kaduna, either I went in by air or I went in by rail. And then I started to say to my pastor, I said to my pastor, sir, this road, if we get up any time of the day, you'll be in, Kaduna, you'll be in Abuja by Sebu. Then he just, decided, he just decided that he wants to go to Kaduna now. Then he'll go, Ooh, ah! <laughs> God has men no leave that matter. He will leave us with high jump. Because you'll be calling him every step of the way, sir. Are you, sir? And there's not once they have blocked him. Not once. Off the top of my head, I know that he has been on that road like 12, 13 times. Not once. Then, of course, you know what happened recently. The kidnappers entered the airport, shot one person. Entered. They didn't carry anybody. They just entered, greeted everybody and left. As a show of strength. was a few days later that they bombed the tracks. So, as at right now, you cannot enter Kaduna by road. You cannot enter by train. You cannot enter by air. Because after the day they attacked the airport, the flights were grounded. The day they bombed the, the road, you are your own. When the train attacks happened, my pastor called me. And he said, I told you before. 
You see, I told you, our safety is not in rails. Our safety is not in planes. Our safety is in the voice of God. If God says to you, go, go. Ah. Then I realized that God has men know. So he said to me, every time I need to travel, I just check my heart. If he says no, then it's no. If he says go, I go. Then he added, if I meet them on the road, they will either be done before I get there or they will start when I pass. But if I ever enter into them, then there is a heavenly working that God wants me to do. Then I realized, sir, that there are things we read in scripture. People like Paul the Apostle walked into trouble consciously because of the voice of the Lord. So in Acts 20, he said, what do you mean to cry and break my heart? He said, you only heard that I'll be bound in Jerusalem. When the Lord commissioned me, he told me that bonds and afflictions are waiting for me in every city. So Paul was carrying his Roman citizenship in his front pocket. He went, that's Acts 16. That's the story you read in Acts 16. That night that Paul and Silas were praying and singing, his Roman uh, passport was in his pocket. All he would have needed to do to stop the harassment. Just flash his passport. But because he saw a Macedonian who said, come and help us. He, ent- he went all the way, went through all the beatings, sat down in the prison. Ah, <laughs> he leads me, oh blessed thought, oh words with heavenly comfort fraught. Whatever I do, wherever I be, still tis God's hands that leadeth me. He leadeth me, he leadeth me, by his own hands he leadeth me. His faithful follower I will be, for by his hands he leadeth me. That's why I'm telling you, it takes incarnation. We don't have a generation yet that lost not their life even unto death. And we talk about it tomorrow. People cannot see death and confront it. And you know naturally in the sequence of a divine victory as one from the cross, Jesus stated clearly... Uh, Paul was the one who wrote it. And the last enemy that shall be destroyed shall be death. Then it will be brought to pass the saying, Death, where's your sting? Grave, where's your victory? For the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. That means there must arise a generation that can look at death in the eye and walk straight there, knowing that they were led. Was that not what Jesus told Peter in that story we just spoke about? After they came and they met him, he said, do you love me more than this? And then he said to Peter, when you were young, you went where you wanted to. 
He said, but when you grow old, you will stretch your hand. Another will dress you. Then will lead you by the hand. He will lead you to where you do not want to go. Then the Bible said, and Peter knew. How did he know? He knew that Jesus was speaking about the kind of death that he will die. That will glorify God. Instantly. Peter almost felt like it's because I'm not Jesus' favorite. So he turned and said to Jesus, what about that John? How will he die? See, if I was Jesus, sir, you know how I answer him? <laughs> that one. If you see how he will die, you will just embrace your own death. Say, so see this one. They will beat him. He will refuse to die. They will fry him inside oil. He refused to die. They will throw him in a den. He refused to die. Then finally, they just carry him and throw him on one island somewhere. Let a wild animal kill him. If you hear that, you will kneel down in front of Jesus. I say, thank you, oh my father. No, no, no. If I was Jesus... I would have been under the human pressure to prove to him that I'm fair. Eh? I've, I found something. I will throw it as a statement for those of you who are Bible students. I found out that God was deliberate about none of the apostles dying a natural death. He made sure that all of them were killed. And the singular reason I found in scripture is that there's a place under the throne of God from which voices cry, how long until we are avenged? That means that to be killed in martyrdom is to extend your life. So their right to return and reign comes from the fact that they faced death and they did not back down. And God, Jesus made sure that the small favor he could do to the twelve that were with him was to make sure that every one of them was counted in that number. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> there are certain things you cannot do unless you are incarnated. Yes, sir. The Let's bring it down to human level. Let's say you did business. And you suddenly have become the billionaire you always wanted to be. Then it's that day that God decides that he wants all that you have as an offering. That's when you know you have not been incarnated yet. Because uh, people will faithfully pay tithes in hundreds of thousands. When they make hundreds of thousands, uh, they will give you tens of thousands of tithes. If they make millions they'll give you hundreds of thousands of times. If they make tens of millions, they can give you. When they make billion, and they think of transferring hundred million, first, they will think of you first and think, if I send Pastor Tai with 15 million, Abba is fine now. What else are they looking for in the church like that? Because suddenly your tithe is no longer about your covenant with God. It's about the size of the church. The God who raised you. No, leave it. You can tell why people are destroyed quickly. The Bible says the young man walked away sad because he had great possession. Listen, let me say something to you now. Blessed are ye if you have not climbed up the financial ladder yet. Hear me. 
Let me say something to you now. Exercise yourself in death. Especially when it comes to material things. Season after season, mark your life and give all. It is you declaring, number one, my source in, is God. My value is in me, not in my bank. Because, sir, if we don't exercise ourselves in death in many matters, in many matters, I just picked one, in many matters, what will happen is that we will hate the incarnation because the places God will be leading us to. Because the essence of hearing his voice is so that you can be led. My sheep, they know my voice. I have taught it for years. I have lived it. I'm teaching my people to live it. Hear me very carefully. One other exercise you need for faith work is <laughs> that you have money in your account and God gives you a project and you say to the Lord, Lord, I don't want to lend dependence on what is in my account. I want to consistently remind myself that you are my source. Provide for this particular project that I might have a faith track in my record so that I don't acquaint myself with knowing I have in the bank and my trust begins to go to my bank account. Because if you build trust in those directions, in the days when the heat on the earth will increase, it will be difficult for you to stand. Take note. So, I said all of that to say that God really, what he's looking for is incarnates. He wants to live and dwell in a man. Where the man knows, I own nothing, I have nothing, I am nothing. There's nothing I have or am or my very existence can only glorify God. I'm glad my wife is here. Last week, 15 years. So you know that I'm beginning to become a veteran in this marriage thing. Last week was 15 years of marriage. I told her before we married... I said, the day I am done serving God in my generation, I don't want to live one extra day. She had to agree before she married me. Some people are in you. Because I had to explain to her the fact that our lives are only as useful as they are useful to God. The reason why you find that difficult to swallow is because you have compartmentalized your life. You have a family life. You have a business life. You have a work life. You have... No, me, I have only one life. It's only the God life I have. My whole life is spiritual. So, sir, if God needs me to raise my children, I cannot die. If God needs me to provide for my family, I cannot die. The day he takes me away, my training phase in the children's... Listen, I won't be the first. Jesus didn't have Joseph always. After 12, we did not hear of Joseph anymore. No wonder when they were bringing the prophecy for Jesus, it was Mary that Simeon looked at and said, a sword shall pierce through your own soul also. And it will reveal the touch of many. So in God's divine ordinations, everything Jesus needs to be perfected was not sitting in Joe, it was sitting in Mary. So taking Joe home was not, it did not obstruct the agenda. 
I'm talking about the Lord Jesus. And God did it so that you know that our presence here is only as important as we are useful to God in your life. Paul was talking in Ephesians chapter 1. These are tough things. But they are true. You know the reason why I came this way, sars and mass? So that we don't talk about hearing God from a sweet place. You must know that ultimately, when you arrive at the peak of hearing God, he owns the right to lead you anywhere. He owns the right to birth in your life that which he had proposed before time began. I read in John chapter 4 and I found out that when Jesus said to that woman, God is spirit and they that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. He said they that worship, meaning you can choose whether you want to worship God or not. That means there are others who don't worship God. And God acknowledges that they exist. But they that worship, your, your choice ended the day you chose that is God you want to worship. How you worship him, you don't have a choice. It must be in spirit and in truth. So, some people who, you know, me, I don't like, they just come to church often. I don't. It's not my type. Hey, the problem is that you are not the one that recommended the type. Except if you worship yourself. If you don't worship yourself, what we should be looking for in your life every day is, how does the one who created me to worship him expect me to worship? Pastor mentioned something when he was introducing me. I've never shared this anywhere in public. I've spoken to only a few of my sons about it. That day, if people knew how many deaths I died in that generational shift meeting, because I was looking at what God was building, and the Holy Ghost was talking to me consistently. I saw every element of what he was building. I saw that... Listen, I heard the things that were said, and blessed be God, mighty things were said in the meeting. But more of the things I heard were the things that were not said that were hanging in the spirit. You have to be a hearer. My wife has been giving me offering for years. She says, I, I, she, when, when she honors me as a servant of God, she honors me as a servant of God. She's not a husband. She says, you see, this hearing that you have, I want to hear like that. Because I can't be in an atmosphere and not know what God is saying. I will, I'll become instantly tensed. My highest tension is not, you are inviting me to speak. If I've not heard God, sir, everything inside of me is not holding. And it didn't happen to me because I'm a preacher. I exercised myself in hearing. I told myself my life is only as useful as what God instructs. When I arrived there, then I figured that, listen, the highest you can ever live is to live the best God life that was written for you. You can never be better than what God rules concerning you. Never. Never. You can never be better than what God wrote concerning you. So hear this. Let me find a place 
so we can pray. Because we need to pray tonight. I am looking in the mirror. Oh, I'm becoming what I see. Oh, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Oh, it's the sound of the new man. Listen, I figured, sir, let me say this as I begin to close. Now, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, where you find the word sounds from heaven, that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were together in one accord. Please hear this and don't take this for granted. The Lord Jesus should have just poured the Holy Ghost upon them. I mean, should have. But two things were very important and I'll say them quickly. Number one, it was important to God to put the stamp of divine orchestration. So in putting the stamp of divine orchestration so that Israel will know that these workings didn't happen haphazardly, he chose that Jesus will die on the day of the Passover sacrifice. Do you understand it? Just so that he can stamp his sovereignty. Now, if Jesus died in August, as long as he was a spotless lamb of God, and he was hung for our sin, his sacrifice would have still been valid. So the day didn't validate his sacrifice. The day left a stamp of the sovereignty of God, so that all of Israel will know, and the church will also know, that all of this happened by the hand or the finger of God. So the same day he ordered them to do the Passover in Egypt was the same day that his perfect Passover lamb was sacrificed. He taught them the principles of the Sabbath, the seven, 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 seven. And he taught them that after seven Sabbaths, declaring the complete completion, they will have a day after and they will do a feast called the Feast of Pentecost. And God ordained, listen to me carefully, he ordained that the Holy Ghost, who is the wine for that feast, will show up on the day of Pentecost so that again he can stamp a stamp of his sovereignty. So when the day of Pentecost was fully come, but listen to this, like I tried to explain earlier, God does not do anything because he has power. He doesn't do everything because of his sovereignty. He permits principles to be fulfilled. So each one of these occasions has to have a scriptural principle that is fulfilled. So let me give you, there were three divisions from the day Jesus died to the day the Holy Ghost came. And all three of them, listen, were very significant. If you hear the numbers, you will agree. Now, first, were the three days to his resurrection. Right? Then, the 40 days of revelation of his passion. Which was speaking about the complete experience of Israel in the wilderness. Right? Then, he ascended 43 days after he was killed 40 days after he rose again. And he told them to go and wait in Jerusalem until they be endued with power. So how long did they wait? Seven days. Now, he didn't say to them, wait for seven days. He said to them, wait until. So how long it was going to take was how long it will take for them to arrive at one accord. I need you to arrive there. Why? 
Because the principle of the outpouring of the oil is Psalm 133. Oh, how good, oh, how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the oil. It comes from the head of the high priest. In this case, Jesus. And runs down until it touches the least part of his body, the skirts of his garment. Now, if the body is not perfectly aligned with the head, the oil cannot flow. So it took them seven days to arrive at one accord. What is the definition of one accord? Philippians chapter 2 verse 3. Put it on the board. Because, we, you know, it's easy for us to just imagine things. And not let scripture help us define things. Ah. Next verse. Four. No, no, two, sorry. Two. Go back, two. Philippians chapter 2 verse 2. Aha. Fulfill you my joy. By being, having, being of, and of. So to arrive at one accord is to be like-minded. That means we must have the same perception concerning the matter. Having the same love. That means no one among us keeping idols of any kind. Then, being of one accord and of one mind. Now, this is the one that I have a problem with. One mind simply means that we all must be thinking from the same source. Ah, That's the one accord that provoked a sound. I'm laying a foundation for something here. This is the one accord that provoked a sound. Listen. One mind sir Many people in church think that what we need is a table corporation. I thank God for table corporations. I thank God for organizations. I mean, I thank God for organizational meetings. PFN, CAN, all of that. I thank God for them. But listen to me. Unity in the spirit is not achieved around a table. The table might help us, but if we don't all subscribe to the pattern of the spirit, we will only have a political sitting we cannot have a spiritual base. Are you following me? So, you need to understand what happened here. The reason is because I want you to understand that your hearing God is important to us. Why? Because if there's going to be an outpouring, God has to wait until the least and the last of us connects to his mind. So, what is the one mind? The Bible said a little later, let this mind be in you. Which was in Christ Jesus. Ah! Then I'm forced to remember Isaiah 55 from verse 6. I want to close there so that we can pray. Isaiah 55 from verse 6. Listen. He said, call upon the Lord while he may be found. Oh, good. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Next verse. Take note of this. Let the wicked forsake and the unrighteous, just take note of it. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and unto our God and he will abundantly pardon. Next verse. For neither ah, let the wicked man forsake his thoughts and the unrighteous man his. So stop. 
That means when God said this, he didn't say this to intimidate us and tell us that his ways are higher than ours. Next verse. Next verse. You will see, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. Next verse. Uh Now, stop, 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 stop. The last time you read this, you thought God was saying to you, my way, you can never live in my ways. My ways are higher than yours. It's an insult on the nature of Christ that we have received for God to deny us the knowledge of his ways. So this was God complaining, not stating a fact. Oh. Why? Because we have refused to come up. We have refused to ascend. Listen, you can't read these scriptures in isolation. Is that not why verse 10 said for us the rain comes from heaven and the snow and does not return but it waters the earth and makes it. So shall my word. So every time God sends his word in your direction, he's attempting to help you to think at his frequency. That means the mark that I have regard for his voice is that I will not stop until his frequency becomes my frequency. His ways become my ways. His thoughts become my thoughts. Then at that point, I can say I'm incarnated. Because when I look at a person, sir, everybody can be judging them. If God is thinking mercy in their direction, I lose the ability to stir up judgment from inside. All that comes out of me. Listen, I found out that life is too complex to have a formula. Sir, God can be judging a man because his wickedness is great. You cannot force God to have mercy. On a man whose wickedness is great. Unfortunately, you cannot look at the man and know whether his wickedness is great or not. You cannot know whether his mercy cup is full or not. You cannot know. Do you understand it? That means you have to require the one whose judgment is right. Thinking through you. So that when you look at a person and you rebuke him, it's because God is rebuking him. Not because you have a formula for rebuke. I cannot say this next one without packing my Bible. That's how I found out. That especially, please hold this dearly to your heart. Especially as you begin to mature spiritually. The standards with which God will judge you is to the extent to which you deviated from how he perceived the circumstance in your judgment of it. Sir. So, Two people can be caught in two different adultery situations and God does not expect you to do the same thing in both of the circumstances. We want to hear a sound from heaven. If you are listening to me carefully, you will know that part of the limitations of your hearing the sound is the many formulas you have created that God did not give you. So you created a formula. If a person does this, we'll do this. If a person do this, we'll do that. Do this, do that. 
Now, many times, the moment you subject things to that level of calculation, as much as you are trying to look just in the eyes of men, you'll be breaking the things that God is trying to fix. And fixing the things... So, what is responsible for the highest level of spiritual accuracy is when a man can hear clearly what God is doing now. It then tells you, sir, that a man of the spirit does not have the luxury of sentiments. I cannot like anybody to the degree to which my like will affect my judgment when I stand to address, especially for those of us who are leaders. So when he said, I beseech you that you offer your bodies a living sacrifice. What he was actually saying is, so that when you are angry, it is God that is angry. When you are happy, it is God that is happy. When you are sad, it is God that is sad. When you rebuke, it's a rebuke from the mouth of the Lord. That helped me explain who Jesus is more than anything else. We try to cloak Jesus in a religious formula. Because of those movies we watched when we were children, Jesus of Nazareth wearing red, one, one white cloth and one red sash around it. And then he was a cool, quiet, gentleman. Then I read scripture and I find out that the man I'm reading about in scripture does not look like that man in that theme. Because he turned around and said to them, Oh, ye of little faith. Then he turns around and says, No, you cannot break this one. This one you need to fix. He turns around and says, Okay, those of you who don't have sin, cast a stone on this one. That's the one that you thought that he should be judging. So I look at him and I see that he's a complex personality. He walks into the temple and sees organized religious system. He goes outside and he's forming Cain. He's weaving cane. And his disciples are thinking, is this a joke he learned when he was a child? Until he walks into the temple and he's flogging people out of the temple. And in that day, he got into the highest amount of troubles a man can enter. But Matthew wrote and said, it is so that it will be fulfilled that which is prophet had written, that the zeal of my father's house. So if Jesus had tried to organize how he felt that day and said this will be indecent, he will stand in judgment before God concerning what he failed to do. Because the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God, but the anger of God is the seal upon which God. So Jehu said to the people who were with him, follow me and see my zeal for the Lord. That means the Christian life is not a formula. That means I cannot be quiet every time, sir. Neither can I talk every time. Who can give you that life except for yieldedness? At that point, only incarnation can do it. Lord, take my members and live through me. Can somebody pray it? That's where we close today. Take my members and live through me. Pray it in your understanding. Pray it in the spirit. Is somebody ready for incarnation? If you will, maybe you lift up your hand to God. If you find some space, you can open your hands wide.
and ask him, take my members. Feel through me. See through me. Speak through me. Hear through me. Cleanse the fountains of my interpretation. Rise up against the strongholds of the things that I have said that do not look like you. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm away, have your way. Lord, have your way. Pray every word of it. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I give you my soul. of our thinking, our sight, our hearing. Take everything and cause us to respond to you alone. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's have a seat quickly. Quickly, let's have a seat. Why every eye is closed. I, I don't want to just take this. Even though it's a believer's meeting, but I also need to understand that a few people here need to make a fresh commitment to Jesus. Every, every eye closed, every head bowed. If you are here this evening and you have never at any time received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to lift up your hands quickly. You want to pray together quickly before we put this meeting to a close. You want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Just lift up your hands. I want to pray with you quickly. Wherever you are, just lift up your hands. I want to pray with you quickly. You want to make a fresh commitment to Jesus this evening. This first day of this conference, you want to make a commitment to Jesus. Just show by a wave of hands quickly, and I'll pray with you quickly. Oh, Father, we thank you. We give you the praise. Thank you. Thank you for this. Have a great day, Lord. Thank you for this.